0: Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Welcome back to Intolerable Bosses. I'm your host and executive coach, Terry Lepofsky, and today we're going to expose the fearmonger and explore how you can survive. But before we do, I want to throw out a big thanks to the sponsor of Intolerable Bosses, the Otis Group. This is such a great sponsor too, mostly because we're all of the same mindset that the world needs more leaders worth following. The great folks over at the Otis Group heard about what we're doing, exposing those intolerable bosses, and immediately offered to support us. Please folks, support those who support us. Head over to otusgroup.com for all of your risk management and financial management consulting. That said, I also want to welcome back the other half of the Leadership Brothers, all the way from Calgary, Alberta, top executive coach and my brother, Pat Lepofsky, Pat, it's great to have you back on the show.
1: Once again, it's great to be back, and I'm looking forward to really digging into the topic of today.
0: Oh, you know, you sound so formal there, Pat. I got to (laughs) ask you. What's been keeping you going here these days? What have you been busy at?
1: Well, it's that time of year just before summer breaks. What I find is this is the time that a lot of companies really like to jump into strategic planning and making sure that they're right on top of things and they got that laser guided rudder on the ship before summer season starts.
0: I'm finding the same thing. People want to make sure that the boat is heading in the right direction and everybody's pulling on the oars equally. Isn't that true?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a great time of year to get on track, get on top of things, not to mention yard work at home but it's also the yard work in the business.
0: Even if the companies that have those set up, it's a nice time to revisit that and just make sure that things still apply. It is the first full week of the month. We've been doing this show where we're calling out the intolerable bosses and doing our best to help out those people that have to work for those bosses. The other three weeks of every month, we interview great leaders from around the world who are doing an awesome job setting ambitious goals, motivating their teams, and knocking it out of the park. But we realized that if we didn't have something to contrast with those inspiring leaders, that it might start to seem that inspiring leadership was the norm. So that's why we introduce this one show every month where we showcase the yang to the yin, the bad to the good. This week, we're introducing another intolerable boss, so that we can all appreciate the inspiring leaders just a little bit more. Pat, why don't you introduce our show for this week?
1: We definitely have some not-so-good bosses to expose today. And it's actually quite interesting. You can see these types of bosses in the companies you're part of, where they've climbed the corporate ladder by using things like intimidation or in the different departments where they come from. You know, something like the sales department, the operations department, where the manager of that area rates their representative's performance every Friday. Or the software project manager who finds every opportunity to prove his colleagues wrong just for the sake of looking right. These are really the fear-monger bosses that we've talked about before. This really puts people into a position where they're almost living a nightmare. The fear-mongering boss rules by intimidation and fear in an attempt to really get the results they want and keep an advantage over other people as they continue to climb the metaphoric ladder of the organization. And really, this is taking advantage of the people that work for them, taking advantage of other people's perceived weaknesses, taking advantage of some of the learning opportunities that they could go through. Fear from the fear-mongering boss is the most primitive emotion that they have.
0: I'm glad that you really focused in on that fear aspect of this. That really reminds me about the biological aspect. When our safety is threatened, there's actually a chemical reaction that happens in our brains. There's part of our... Hippocampus that gets triggered into what's commonly called an amygdala response, or maybe more commonly known as the fight or flight response. It's an automatic response that we really don't have a lot of control over, and it happens in the oldest, most primitive parts of our brains. Researchers believe that the early humans developed this response to protect them from things like attacks from saber toothed tigers. Well, we don't have too many saber tooth tiger attacks in the offices these days, but the fight-or-flight response is still there, and it's still automatic, way beyond our choices and our control. So what happens when we are triggered with this fear-mongering boss is that the amygdala floods our brain with cortisol, which is a hormone that prevents the executive functioning or logical thinking in our brain from happening in the prefrontal cortex. That's the region right behind your forehead. So in effect, the brain is protecting us by prioritizing a survival mechanism. We either run or we start swinging. And it's pretty safe to say that fighting or running away are probably not the most effective strategy in boardrooms. But before we dig into our recommendations to survive a fear-mongering boss, let's take a closer look at this intolerable boss style so that we know what we're dealing with.
1: Yeah, I think you're tickling my hippocampus with this one. You know, (laughs) (laughs) fear is the most primitive emotion that we have. And uh, you look in the old hierarchy of needs, if it was Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you see that it's really, really low on the bottom. Yeah, safety. Just in terms of, yeah, safety. Now, you know, fear is the most primitive emotion, as we said. And we all know that some bosses abuse it for their advantage. And sometimes managers who use that fear-based technique are, are really the types of people who are highly focused on achieving results and meeting targets. That's why in many cases, it's what got them promoted into the roles in the first place, but what got you here won't get you there. It's really true, kind of a catch-22 situation that happens in far too many companies. There's always a strong push for results from the executive levels. There's always that pressure from upward coming down. And that push for results really gets cascaded down the chain of command until directors are overly focused on deadlines, targets, which leaders that they need to push, and the supervisors that they need to really encourage, they need to push the same. Right down to the frontline managers and the staff under them who get crushed under that You think about the weight of all of that pushing has to just be something incredibly, if it was a bunch of coal, you'd make a diamond, but just really the pressure that's really faced by the people at the bottom. And really look at this, fear can be a powerful motivator in the right context. And in some circumstances, it is appropriate. If there's a significant make-or-break deal, like when risk is high, sometimes their directiveness is something that needs to come out. Make-or-break deals that have tight deadlines, significant risk associated with those as well. If that's the case, then I hope that everyone on the team within the companies that we work with understands the implication and pushes themselves to the max just to make sure that they get the job done. They're in the old term, get her done. That's the modern equivalent to the saber-toothed tiger these days. And in circumstances like that, fear can be slightly healthy. As uh, you and I know fear, it's, uh, <laughs> it can be a good thing in sport. It can be a good thing for the corporate athlete as well. The reality is that these do-or-die situations aren't common. If a boss is employing the fearmonger tactics on a regular basis, at some point propagating fear really does backfire, doesn't it, Terry?
0: You're reminding me of some of the stats that I've seen. The researchers out there are really confirming what a lot of us knew, and that is if you're relying on this tactic on a day-to-day basis, it's going to backfire. You're going to start seeing a lot of attrition. Few people can survive and thrive under a reign of tyranny before unhealthy amounts of stress. Then we start seeing those absences start to increase, followed by gossip. From other people in the office, lower morale, and then you start seeing heads turning over and people turning over around the organization. So, why is it that office fear seems so effective for getting a job done? Unlike in the wilderness, where fear might be a life or death matter, office fear triggers angst about how we're perceived. And that makes us feel susceptible to manipulation or causes us to tolerate slights and injustices. Fear is the most primitive emotion that we have. The default program of being a human is to look good and avoid looking bad. But when you've got a fear monger boss, that's pretty tough to avoid. Mm -hmm. But it's actually easier to get results in a culture where managers don't trigger the survival instinct. Without fear, you create an environment where it's okay to question the crowd logic show uncertainty about the path forward, or ask a basic question without that fear of backlash. When there's alignment, your daily interactions, your thinking, your feelings, and your emotions can be shaped by your commitment to the work rather than your concern for looking good or your concern for safety.
1: You asked me the question at the beginning, what's my focus right now? Strategic planning, not strategic fear-mongering. Right. And when that alignment's there with a team and a company, and you get so much out of people. And you look on the counter side with the lousy work cultures that fear mongers create. We really do have to ask, why do bosses use fear as a management technique in the first place? You look at some of them yelling at people. Does it really work? It may be effective. Experts really say that it doesn't work in the long run. And I think I personally experienced that too. It doesn't work in the long run. You look at some of the different generations in the workplace now, especially the millennials coming up, if you're going to use fear with them, they're just going go to go into the next opportunity and you're going to lose people and have an ever going turnover problem. It's, it's risky to talk to a fear about what's really going on because you don't know if they feel backed into a corner, they're going to come out swinging. That may lead to wrong assessments and labeling of you as an individual or the other team members who might bring this to the forefront. Yeah, for sure. And it really could be that the fear mongers are plagued by their own fears inside of their own mind. Maybe that they lack self-confidence, which, you know, quite frankly, I usually find is the case. Or perhaps the person might have learned things like this at a younger age, maybe even as young as being a child, that authoritarians who threaten with consequences, get results. And that might just be the environment that they came from. Mm -hmm. What's really interesting, and I know we've talked about this, is to learn from what most researchers believe, that many fearmonger bosses don't even realize that they're spreading angst. They simply think they're getting things done one step at a time, one project, one need at a time. But if somebody is behaving in a way that seems evil to you, like that fearmonger boss, or if they're just doing something that seems most incomprehensible, you know that they have bad motives, most of the time in their minds, they really don't think they're doing something wrong. They think they're doing it right. And it's just that their perspective is different from ours based on where they come from and what they've experienced in the past.
0: It's true, Pat. I think if you were to sit down with any one of these guys that maybe their team perceives them as a fear-mongering boss, they'll have a completely different story. They'll be saying, no, I'm the kind of person who gets things done around here. Now that we have some insight into the mind of the fearmonger let's shift our focus for just a bit and explore some of the different things that people can do those people that have to work for a fearmonger how they can survive fear comes from ambiguity from not knowing that's where a lot of fear comes from for people so when you don't understand the other person and you can't predict their actions or if you can't predict what the outcome is going to be and you have those threats hanging over your head that, as we said, it triggers the amygdala into that fight-or-flight syndrome that we talked about. In most cases, people are not using fear intentionally. Those bosses are really just aimed at trying to get results. That fight-or-flight is caused automatically by the lack of predictability and the threat of harm. So what strategies do the Leadership Brothers recommend that people can use to survive a fearmonger boss? Well, the first thing that I would suggest would be, for anyone working for a fearmonger boss is to read up on emotional intelligence otherwise known as EQ Daniel Goleman is a leading researcher and best-selling author on the topic of EQ kind of the godfather of EQ and he describes it as having two aspects that relate to us that self-awareness and self-regulation and then two aspects that are associated with how we relate to others social awareness and relationship management. And because our brains are pre-wired to protect us with that fight or flight response, we need to be able to see the emotional trigger or the fear-mongering behavior very clearly and know that our amygdala is likely about to get triggered. So if you're armed with these keen powers of observation, we can then disarm our reaction time bomb with three steps. First, as soon as you see the behavior of the intolerable boss or the fearmonger, acknowledge it silently to yourself. Stop for a second and just think, "Oh no, this is it." Silently say to yourself, "It's happening. It's here." The second step is take in a deep breath to feed your brain with the oxygen that you need in your prefrontal cortex to start prompting the logical thinking rather than the fight or flight response. And then the third thing that you can do is while you're pausing to breathe, consider your intentions and compose your words accordingly. So, for example, if your boss just interrupted your phone conversation with a client and abruptly told you to get in here, you know that old thing, get in this office right now, then silently think to yourself, oh, here it is. Take that deep breath and compose a balanced, measured response, something like this. Yes, I'll finish with this client call and I'll be right there. Perfect. No runaway emotion, no loss of control. You got
1: this. <laughs> now you're tickling my amygdala. <laughs> <laughs> to have confidence in dealing with a fear-mongering boss is to have some self-control and to take the steps you just defined are probably the biggest things to help somebody feel like they're in control, not out of control. So that's awesome. Right on. Another option for dealing with some of the fear-mongering bosses is just shrug it off. let water off the duck's back. This is something, the more you actually take that breath and you have your own control, the more you build the capacity to do this. One of my colleagues used to do this with an old boss that we had years ago using fear tactics. She just constantly put pressure on us about delivering results. Another one, he did the same thing. The problem was they pushed off things by their bosses to deliver on to us. This fear-mongering boss did get us to deliver. And as a matter of fact, massively, but I always look back, took note of one of my colleagues who always seemed to let the yelling and the fist-thumping on the table really just, it was like water up a duck's back and just, you know, this person just really, it never really got to them. And they just replied calmly, yeah, yes, boss, uh, no problem, boss. Uh, yes, sir, no, sir. Three bags full, sir. <laughs> <laughs> he was able to shrug things off and the behavior of it because he had a previous experience with an intimidating personality, including an overbearing personal relationship. And I remember asking, yeah, how did you really handle this? And how did you handle it so well? And the reply from my colleague was, as soon as uh, this person attacks me and tries to prove me wrong or accuse me of something, I just look at him and with compassion and think, oh, you poor tortured person. You've been through a lot. And I actually showed compassion back. You know, that's what he'd say to me. And and if, you know, I have to create something fearful, this person actually shrugged it off. And quite frankly, what they did is they began with positive intention towards that person. And if you have a very sad story to tell, I'm sure the person who's being uh, hard on me is having more battles in their own head with their own demons than they're really having with me. And it's just being transposed on. Like, put it in perspective. If you can see the behavior, but not let it get under your skin and just realize that it's not a conflict with you, it might be a conflict in their own head then you're probably much better off. Don't you think, Ter?
0: I like the suggestion too about using a little compassion with somebody like that. I mean, if you see somebody who's using these tactics, these fear-mongering tactics, they've got some demons in their own closet. Just taking a look at them and think they've got some struggles that they're going through as well. And that's probably why it's rolling down to us. So just uh, keeping that level of compassion and that perspective, I think will help you to not internalize it so much but to wonder what it is that you can do to help that other person. That's a really interesting point. And I think it takes a strong person to do that, but definitely something to aim for.
1: Just make sure that you've got that positive intention and you're the person who's going to maintain who you are and not let them competitively beat you. There's another suggestion here too, because we're also coming back to one of our former shows on intolerable bosses. This could be a case of workplace bullying. So if the behavior in the fearmonger persists, the suggestion is really keep a detailed log of what's happening including the times, the dates, the places, the dialogue, the people involved. Since you'll likely need all of this at some point, if you do go to human resources or even call the old-fashioned labor relations hotline in many of your states and provinces, there's protection that's out there. Do this at home in a notebook. Make sure you keep your notes private is what we're trying to say here. And avoid keeping electronic copies sent between people. You don't want some of this documentation to go astray and go into the wrong hands. Keep it as private as possible. And the notes could really help you recount what happened and prove that behavior was ongoing. Now, again, the intention here isn't to be deceitful or destructive in any way. Some of the notes that you're keeping, if the opportunity presents itself, could be something that really helps this fear-mongering boss turn the corner. Or if that's impossible, the company could turn the corner on them with the right background and detail. like
0: what you said there. It's not only about defending yourself or your job, but it's also about helping that other person as well. Huge. Very good suggestion. So I have another one here. There are situations where people don't feel like they have enough evidence that's going to stick. And if they become worried that reporting it might backfire because they don't really have enough objective information, then that's where this suggestion might come in. This suggestion is really named at assessment and perhaps even coaching as well. I'm going to use a story to illustrate this. And I remember that I was once called in to coach a vice president at an engineering firm. And the CEO who brought me in said that there had been complaints from the staff, kind of these confidential complaints from people that said that this VP was making people terrified and making them scared to speak up or even making the slightest mistake. They were fearful of it. These were subjective reports, obviously, and the CEO didn't think that there was enough evidence for him to order her, the VP, to change her management style. And coupled with this, the CEO told me that everyone on her team was convinced that HR was there to serve the senior management team and not the staff. They were kind of at that size of company where HR can't really be too big to serve all purposes. So This was the general perception out there, right or wrong, that's what people are dealing with. So the situation was that nobody was reporting this fear-mongering and people were too scared to say anything about it. So here again, this is another catch-22. When I started to work with her, I noticed that her team was checking every little thing two, three, four times to make sure that there were no mistakes, having people cross-reference it and all the rest. And that's unusual behavior. So I realized that everyone there was really living in a state of fear and anxiety and low morale, and yet nobody would talk about it to expose the problem. So one of the things that I do as an executive coach was to administer a 360 assessment to bring out the confidential perspectives and commitments of 18 people, including her supervisor, her peers, and her team. And in order to get valid responses from people, Remember, we're dealing with people who are scared to speak up about this. What I did was, I met with every one of the respondents beforehand to reassure them that honest answers were needed and that every response was going to be absolutely confidential. Fast forward a little bit, when this VP saw irrefutable evidence from so many unique perspectives calling her out on these behaviors, then there was a profound silence and a real moment of awakening that happened. It was as if she had woken up from a dream. She became deeply interested in finding better habits and leadership skills, and working with her rather than against her became quite easy. She was motivated, and her intentions became very positive. So the story does have a happy ending. She's still at the same company, and although some of her direct reports have come and gone, she still has a very solid team that's behind her she's a more balanced leader and she's earned the trust of her peers her team and her CEO
1: so you know Terry this brings an important point out to most intolerable bosses whether they're fear mongers controlling indecisive or other behaviors that are negative usually we find that they're good people who are just trapped inside a memory of bad behaviors like an M&m candy it's hard on the outside but soft on the inside and that's with all tough personalities if you can take them out, or a beverage you're choosing, you know, take them out for a coffee, a plate of chicken wings, you know, just to get them out of their environment. You'll probably get along with them just fine once they're out of the zone where they become intolerable. But as soon as they get into that work environment, they seem to kind of slip on the boss persona and really the dysfunctional habits that kick in. this happens to be just because they haven't been exposed to other ways of leading people. They haven't been shown how to do it. On the positive side, yeah, true. Leading people can be very complex work, just because of the personalities and the emotion that's involved. And there's no user manual to to hand out to managers to manage the people. It's an authentically different situation every time, and that's why coaching is such an effective means of raising morale. You know, whether you're the mentor on the inside or the coach from the outside, motivation and organizational effectiveness comes when people get new ideas that they really want to work on to summarize, if you don't have enough evidence to bring bring to HR, then you might want to suggest that the company look into the 360 leadership assessments and potentially even executive coaching or leadership coaching. Bring this up with your boss's boss if the opportunity exists and if you need to, and really bring it up in a caring way that just shows you want the best for the person that's involved. They hear this from you and maybe from a few other people. They'll usually take action, right?
0: Really good suggestion there. A little care is needed if you're going to be Bringing this up to your boss's boss, you know, check your intentions before you do. Make sure that it comes across in a really balanced manner. And as we've mentioned before, don't speak for other people, speak for your own experience, and don't try to put words in anybody else's mouth if you do this. And of course, we've said this on previous shows, but I think it needs to be said here again. Sometimes, if you have a toxic environment, a fear based culture that's really starting to harm your health, well, then. Really, you need to start at least considering your exit strategies. Do you feel that there's no other recourse through other formal channels? And especially if your health and your sanity are starting to be affected, well, that's worth way more than any paycheck. If you don't have another job lined up, polish up your resume, start searching and networking discreetly. Nobody deserves a nervous breakdown. So what do you think, Pat? Have we squeezed this lemon well enough? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we got some great lemonade out of this one. We've covered the problem, what a fear-mongering boss is, and why they behave the way they do. You know, we've discussed the five things that people can do to survive, and if they're working for a fear-mongering boss, what to do in that situation. But let's throw this out there for anyone who may still have a tough situation that they want to explore, that they want the cavalry to come riding over the hill to help them with. If you're listening and you want to connect with either Terry or myself, then please reach out. Let us know. Give us a call.
0: And there you have it, another Intolerable Bosses episode and five strategies that you can use to survive. Pat, a huge thanks for joining us again on Intolerable Bosses. It is always great to have the Leadership Brothers reunited right here on the show. And a big thanks to our show sponsor, the Otis Group at otusgroup.com for your generous support in helping us to create a world where inspired leadership is ubiquitous. Folks, please support those who support us and head on over to otusgroup.com for your financial management, risk management, and virtual CFO needs. Richard, Francis, and the entire fabulous team over at Otis will treat you like gold. Lastly, thanks to everyone who has left us those stars and positive ratings on iTunes. That support really helps us with our rankings, and that helps us attract great guests like the one that we're going to have on the show next week when we welcome Mr. Joshua Miller from the San Francisco Bay Area to talk about living authentically and to preview his new book. So join us again next week. Thanks very much for tuning in. Bye for now, and until next time, take care, everyone.